Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Podcast. It's a Wednesday. It's Liz, not your typical day, with Andy Barons, not my typical co-host. But hey, these are atypical times, so we are rolling with it. Andy, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, it is a it is a pleasure to be here. I haven't seen you since the best ball draft. I know. We're going to talk a little bit about that. My gosh. So what have you been up to? Any new hobbies? Are you writing your own King Lear? Um, mastering some new obstacle that... You hadn't planned to master until quarantine? <laughs> no, I'm not doing any of those things. Because as you know, uh, Jason Klobaka, our fearless leader, uh, is is filling our days with uh, with content responsibilities. So uh, I've been, I've been, you know, I had every intention of uh, throwing down uh, on the King Lear challenge. But no, I have not yeah. actually been able to uh, effectively do that. I'm, I'm barely treading water. Same. Thank you for saying that. I'll hashtag you, by the way, uh, or I'll tag you uh, on IG, your favorite of the social platforms when I get around I'm, to the game. I'm always, I'm always gramming. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm, basically, I've thrown myself into the gram is what I meant to say I've done. Good news, Andy. Um, you and I, according to the best ball draft poll, were among our Twitter followers, uh, had two of the best drafts. We were in the lead. 37% of the engaging audience said I had the best draft and 22%. 37. 37. Uh, That's nearly 40%. That's how us fantasy football statisticians speak. Uh, And you had nearly 25% with 22% of the audience voting for your team. Yeah, can we really? I think the the lasting lesson of that poll is that uh, like we need to talk about Dalton getting four percent of the vote, which is you know that four percent can just be people who meant to click on Liz Loza or Andy Barons and accidentally clicked on Dalton. It's like it's like Carly Dalton and maybe his kids and and a bunch of <laughs> accidental clicks, and that's it. Like that's the full. I mean, that's that's shockingly bad drafting from Dalton. Well, it, was, it was also interesting that Harmon was like lighting him up on the live stream about his like you know 22 and under club like everybody was <laughs> under the age of 23 little ageist Dalton Del Don but when we are best balling in May um you know people like to say like oh my gosh what are you doing so early like this is this is off-season hype season and yeah it is because the last dance is over I did the Peloton ride like what else am I supposed to do now <laughs> I'm best balling. And actually, it looks like the Athletics Connor Hughes is also on board. He is suggesting, wait for this, that the Jets, quote, can't wait to unleash Chris Herndon. Because if last week I talked about hashtag burnt players that I enlisted in 2019, (laughs) damn, Chris Herndon sat on my roster unnecessarily for way too many weeks. Um, But his name is back in the news. Talk to me about this. So how are you feeling? I mean, like, I think the Jets are interesting, not just because the Jets suck and Sam Darnold doesn't get the weapons that all the other rookies in his class have gotten, but there are some interesting wrinkles beyond Adam Gase's proclivity towards eating tacos. (laughs) 
I'll, like, I'll tell you the one thing that makes me, first of all, with, with Herndon uh, himself, he feels like he's maybe going to develop into one of these like early career Jared Cook guys where there's just a ton of preseason hype for like, for like four years in a row before anything good comes from uh, Chris Herndon's relationship with Sam Darnold. But the, the thing that makes me um, a little bit more optimistic this time around is uh, I keep like, I keep thinking back to the way Charles Robinson was kind of buzzing about Herndon last offseason. Like Charles visited a bunch of training camps. And I remember that he came away from Jets camp spending like what I thought was a curious amount of time on the Yahoo football podcast discussing Chris Herndon and the obvious rapport that he had with Darnold and how good that was going to go. Of course, it went sideways for a couple of different reasons Mm -hmm. as you know, as soon as the season started or before the preseason was over. Um, But like I buy it, he had a, he had a really good rookie season by the standards of his position. I mean, we don't like he had uh, just over 500 yards, maybe four touchdowns, which within the context of what the jets were at the time and what we reasonably expect from any rookie tight end, like that's really good. That was, that was an awesome rookie season Uh, flashed a couple times. And, uh, I, I bought the hype last year. Like I thought he was going to be a thing. So sure, this makes this actually makes a ton of sense to me. So I want to believe. Here is my here is my reticence, and it isn't because I bought in and it didn't work out for me last year. But you mentioned the chemistry with Sam Darnold, the almost immediate chemistry, and he flashed that in 2018, right? In in, in Darnold's rookie season. And then between the suspensions and the soft tissue injuries, he just never had the opportunity to be on the field in 2019. But and maybe this is a little bit, oh, it's the off season, so I have more time to opine about details that I have no concrete facts about. Our friend Chris Harris would be, you know, side-eyeing me for, for what I'm about <laughs> to say immediately. But, you know, you have to imagine, okay, there were the suspension. They, they had the, the Charles Robinson platitude-filled offseason that you mentioned, training camp that you mentioned, and then the suspensions kind of shelved Herndon. And then he got the soft tissue injury at the end of that. I'm wondering if that's a conditioning issue when we know that this player has some discipline issues. And so if I'm looking at, and you've coined the term, I think perfectly well, an abbreviated off season, am I worried about the shape that Chris Herndon is in and that potentially leading to more of these unnecessary obstacles? That is what is preventing me, despite all of the upside and the, the desire to believe and the facts that there is something there um, from really buying in. Yeah, that's uh, that's totally fair. Um, I don't think you're going to have to pay an extreme price for Chris Herndon at the draft table. Right. So that makes him a, a really easy sort of late flyer. So it's not like, you know, it's not it's not like the hype is going to reach some sort of level with Chris Herndon where you've got to got to draft him as, as, as if he's some sort of top eight fantasy tight end. I don't think it's ever going to get there. Um, the, it, it's just kind of wide open for targets in the Jets receiving core right now, too. Right. Like we, we can feel pretty good about the about the Crowder Darnold relationship and we can feel pretty good about the the Darnold Herndon relationship and then maybe that's it it's it's new guy Brashad Perriman it's it's new guy Denzel Mims who's really fun um really really talented super athletic but we don't know what any of this is going to look like again it's the it's the weirdest offseason of all time um so we don't know how those guys get on the same page I I just feel like you know Herndon and and Crowder are kind of going to be comfort food there that's a nice that's a nice way of putting it. If you are contextualizing Herndon's value within the other players at the position, um, I have him sandwiched somewhere very closely between Blake Jarwin and OJ Howard, meaning I'll take a flyer on him ahead of Jarwin, but maybe not ahead of Howard. Yeah, I think that's right. Like somewhere in that, I don't know, 14 to 18 range. If you want to, if you want to take the plunge there, I think that's right. I don't think he's ever going to get up to the point where we're, we're making a, a choice between like Hayden Hurst and, and Chris Herndon or Hooper and, and Herndon. It's not, it's not going to reach that, that stage. Let's talk a little bit about Mims too, because obviously rookies are such a big part of the off season. And I like him a lot too. I didn't know you were as high or you found him as exciting. A lot of people you know, when you're looking at a rookie and this atypical offseason and a player that has some scouts have said struggled with focus drops, that's a little bit more of a concern. But also when you look at the like mythical combination of things that he is between size <laughs> and and speed and measurables. Um, and then you also weigh in the fact that Demarius Thomas yes, Demarius Thomas averaged five and a half targets per game in 2018. I mean, like 
Mims could have an 80 plus target season. The question is, what is uh, like, what is the catch percentage on that? Um, yeah, that's not that's not unrealistic at all. Like, and I guess I would set the the plausible ceiling maybe a little bit higher than that. Um, they spend an early pick on him. He's got, as you say, he's got he's got really good size. I think he's six three. Right. Is he six three, six four, mm-hmm. something like that? Um, sub four four speed, like just a. a a great combine performance, great leaping ability, has all the physical traits you can possibly want. And he's joining a team where a ton of, uh, I don't know, what is it, 200 targets that are that are up for grabs, mm-hmm. something like that between between Anderson's workload and, and uh, as you say, what Demarius was getting, like there's a huge opportunity here. Uh, that isn't all going to go to to Perriman, Herndon, Crowder. Like these are not, you know, the, the guy with the biggest ceiling on this team, uh, long-term at least, is probably Denzel Mims. Uh, again, huge talent, uh, not, you know, there's only so much you can take away from, from any sort of big 12 stats. So I, I'm, I'm really hesitant to get into the, what he did in college, right? Cause it's right. just not a, it's a conference that lies to us every year. I hate it. I absolutely, I absolutely hate, well, I mean, like it's fun to watch players face big 12 defenses, but like big 12 defensive players go on to be like gym teachers and driver's ed instructors, right? Like they don't, they don't, we don't find them in the NFL. Um, so I like, I, you know, I don't I don't know. I never know what to do with the college careers of anybody who's coming out of Baylor, or Oklahoma. But um, I'm I'm super excited about this guy's athletic traits. And again, the opportunity ahead is huge. What do you think this all can mean for Sam Darnold, though? I mean, this is a player that we were anticipating a sophomore breakout, at least in more of a way. I mean, I, you know, set aside the ghosts and the mono. There were obviously some <laughs> obstacles, <laughs> even when you say that. Right. Um, but. It, it does seem – I'm trying to think of other young rookie quarterbacks. We keep talking about how there's this schism between the old guard and the up-and-comers. And, you know, obviously, like, Kyler Murray is everybody's favorite young breakout from a fantasy perspective this year. I'm not including Mahomes and Jackson because they've already broken out. But but Murray is who we're all really, really hyping heading into 2020. Poor Sam Darnold. Like, where in what tier are you putting him? Yeah, this is this is the problem. As you start as you start mentioning the guys that are just going to be at the top of everybody's quarterback ranks, it's going to be Lamar and, and Dak is going to be up there, and Murray is going to be up there, and Wilson, Josh Allen is got like all these guys run, so they all have this rushing upside that is that is pretty significant and that gives them a very high weekly fantasy floor, right? Whether you think they're going to run for four hundred yards, five hundred yards, maybe it's six touchdowns, like that is that is a huge base upon which to build, like with passing stats, right? And the guys that the guys that manage to actually achieve QB one status uh, uh, entirely off of their passing. This is a this is a tough group to crack. That's that's you know it's Breeze, it's Matt Ryan, right. it's you know Brady in his best years is going to be Carson Wentz, guys like that. Like, uh, do, do I think Sam Darnold is is about to join that club? No, um, but do I think Sam Darnold can reasonably finish as like the QB sixteen, which gives him deep league relevance, which gives him certainly makes him a, a streamable fantasy asset um get, gives him all kinds of super flex relevance yeah like i like i think he can definitely get there it's still until we see one of these receivers really pop it's still it's still yeah. an incredibly weak receiving core so you know we opened the show talking a lot about the abbreviated off season and social distancing and isolate isolation measures in place um but we haven't really had a conversation about continuity right like scott pianowski mentioned it on our best ball mock live draft whatever whatever live stream whatever it's called um i am seeing though some quarterbacks veteran quarterbacks roethlisberger and tom brady obviously trying to speed up the process roethlisberger just posted a hype video on social of him and juju smith schuster james connor and ryan schwitzer woo um and then (laughs) And then, you know, Tom Brady's been walking into other folks' houses in Florida for a month now, but he did yeah. uh, hold a two-hour throwing session with Mike Evans and O.J. Howard and five other of the Bucks on Tuesday morning. How How is this happening? Also, can we, like, I'm thinking of the NFL and social distancing, and I know I am living in quarantine and going to the grocery store but once a week, and Earl Thomas is not doing those things. Like, these, like... <laughs> I don't understand how is Ben Roethlisberger allowed to shave his beard and have this throwing session? I guess he just doesn't go to the other side of the field. I mean, I watched the video, but it was edited, you know, like I don't know what happens in between those takes. 
Man, this is going to be this is going to be so weird because we're I mean, we obviously I mean, it's the times are strange for a number of different reasons. One of them is that we're just going to have different roles in different states and different roles within states, within counties. Right. So there's going to be places where um, it it, like it's totally fine for 10 or fewer people to get together. And and like you can call that like it's meaningful practice time. Right. But until you get an entire team together and they're receiving coaching and they're they're living with the coaches and they're living with each other and there's constant dialogue like I don't I don't know how much it means to me that that groups of five players are going to get together and throw the ball around that's cool um it's not the same as having a normal training camp normal preseason normal offseason so I I don't know that I'm that excited about it which which sort of gets us back to to Scott's point um which which is a good one it's it's these teams where um, everything carries over, um, coaching staff carries over for the most part, you know, quarterback carries over skill players carry over. Maybe they've made, maybe they've made one or two super interesting additions. Like it's, it's the Arizona's right. Where everything's the same except earth's best receiver showed up, right? Like that's cool. Um, new Orleans, <laughs> yeah. everything's, everything's basically the same except, Oh, here's Emmanuel Sanders. Like he can get with the program. It's, right, it's, it's proven a obstacle after obstacle, right? Like Achilles, yeah. no big deal. New, uh, changing teams mid season, no big deal. Like he has right. the veteran experience too, and has proven that he can do that. Also, when we're talking about the wide receivers, like it's great that these quarterbacks are developing theoretical rapport with their weapons. But what about, I mean, I always think that such an amazing part of a receiver's development is in practice being covered by the DBs on their team. Yeah, you know, like, right. exactly. And, and what about that? Like, what about just like the rhythm of separation and hand fighting and all of those things that, I don't know if they're going to be able to escalate unless they're I mean, unless we're going to have these like secret basement uh, practices <laughs> that are like not discussed, you know, like like Texas high school football level stuff. Yeah, there are certainly there are certainly states where it feels like the local government would want us to get yeah. to a place where you could have something like a normal NFL training camp, maybe without fans, um, maybe with fans. Who knows? By by late July, maybe it's possible in certain places. Um, it doesn't feel right now like that would be possible in Illinois, for example, or um, California. Right, right, but I, I certainly, uh, for sure, it could happen in Arizona, like later today, um, or it, Georgia, per- or Florida. It, yeah, 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 that kind of thing is going to be able to happen in Florida. Maybe we see teams relocate. I that like that's all purely speculative. I, I hate to guess at it. I'm uh, if there's going to be a season, there's going to be some form of of training camp. But again, um, given the the sort of truncated nature of it, um, it, it's bad news. Like it's particularly bad news if you have you know you think of these teams with like. Uh, new head coach, um, new or young quarterback, right? Um, so, yeah, like the Browns with with Baker and Stefanski and and Van Pelt, right? And and you think of Joe Judge and Daniel Jones and Rivera and Haskins, like that's just a, it's just hard. Um, first or second year quarterback and and entirely new terminology, entirely new playbook, entirely new coaching staff. Like that's just a that just feels like a nightmare scenario. But to that end, I mean, as we're talking about it, it seems to be that, you know, in fantasy, we like flash. Like, we're always drafting to upside and ceiling will be the tiebreaker. For you, I know often talent is the tiebreaker. But narratively speaking, like, we like the exciting stuff. It's a hobby. We yeah. don't actually – we aren't actually spending millions and millions of dollars on on these franchises. So we can be a little bit fast and loose with the rules and our choices. But if we are focused on winning, it does seem like sort of the – older, stodgier teams with less flash and more continuity are going to be the ones with the higher floor and potentially the bigger payout. And so I wanted to go through the different divisions quickly and just conceptualize what that means. Like if we go through the AFC East and we've got Buffalo, who's obviously the front runner to win that division, which is crazy to say, but that's welcome to 2020. It's another crazy thing to say. Uh, (laughs) We've got the Dolphins, the Patriots and the Jets. I think the knee jerk reaction, like I said, is, is the bills, but the bills are folding in Stefan Diggs. We know that he's not exactly a wallflower when it comes to targets and personality. Um, Are the Patriots, I mean, Jared Stidham's not new. He had a great preseason. He beat Hoyer out for the job. I maybe I am I am writing a piece about offseason overlooked offseason winners, and I may have drank too much of Dalton's four percent juice when <laughs> when looking at the Patriots here. 
<laughs> but everything's the same. I know. I think that's actually a really like it, your knee jerk reaction with the Patriots is that um, is that things are so different because you're like, well, Gronkowski's gone and Brady's gone. But um, Br- like Brady was like a caretaker last year. I mean, the, the numbers were fine, but he, he, what was it like six and a half yards per pass attempt? And he didn't turn the ball over a lot, but he wasn't. You know, it was not a crazy touchdown total. He was not some crazy fantasy scorer. Um, is that, you know, can Stidham be 90% of that? Can he be 85% of that? If he can, that defense was great. Um, and they're all coming back. All that defense yeah, is coming back. They're they're running it back basically on both sides of the ball, w- with the exception of perhaps the greatest quarterback in the history of the game. And like everything we've seen about this offseason suggests that uh, Belichick has confidence in Stidham. They would have they would have certainly taken a flyer on one of the veteran quarterbacks by now if uh, if that wasn't the case. So it sets up reasonably well. I mean, I'd, I'd say that's a like in my mind, the Bills have, you know, this could be an unpopular opinion. I think the bills has have everything but a quarterback, right? Like um, defense is going to be great. Skill players are obviously really good. Um, uh, like everything looks good. Josh Allen is going to be a wonderful fantasy quarterback. He's, you know, he gets carries inside the, inside the 10 yard line. Like we, we love everything about Josh Allen from a fantasy perspective. He, he doesn't seem to me like a guy that you'd want to go to, like, if you're going to get in a shootout with Kansas city, you're not going to win that with Josh Allen to me, um, no. but they're, they're probably the team that, um, I, I agree would, should be the favorite in the division. And I feel like Josh Allen is probably one of the players who most needs reps from a passing perspective. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Like Allen and Allen and Diggs, Cause Diggs is uh, like, obviously a player that, that would really be, you know, just a, a wonderful route runner, um, uh, you know, Harmon's favorite route runner, right? Like, but, a but a technician, and somebody who, if you can just plug him into an offense with like a, a sort of master level quarterback, right, who is scary accurate, like that's what you'd like to see Stefan Diggs in at some point. He's not in it now. He's at the exact polar opposite of that right now. He's got a total scattershot quarterback who's really fun, can, you know, can tuck the ball and, and run, um, but is just probably the least accurate starting quarterback in the league. And it's just it's not a perfect fit for Diggs, obviously. No, and I, I think there might be a temper tantrum or two. Maybe one that's deserved. But um, the the last thing about the Patriots I wanted to mention is that, you know, we're talking about the coming back of the receivers. Mohamed Sanu was hurt as soon as he was acquired from Atlanta. And Nikhil Harry does have first round pedigree for whatever that's worth. um, He, too, was hurt pretty immediately into the season. So they're number one and number two. Obviously, Edelman is in there as well, but like their number one and number two outside presences, red zone presences, um, were not at 100% or even on the field for the bulk of last year. So I think that is an upgrade that people are underestimating. No, I think that's true. And and Sanu had like a single game, maybe it was the game in which he got hurt or he got, he got hurt the game after, but he had like one game where Brady was absolutely peppering him with targets. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have the, the box score in front of me, but he had one like super fantasy relevant game and we were like, Oh, okay. Um, Muhammad Sanu is going to be a thing. And then he got hurt. Yeah. Let's talk about the NFC East quick, quick. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this, but you've got Dallas, New York, Philly, and Washington. You mentioned Washington. You mentioned the, the giants, the Cowboys, are assuming, you know, they get on the same page with Dak, which we're all anticipating will happen. I would say like the Eagles and the Cowboys look to be the most um co- the most consistent the, the favorites for for this division. Um my worry about the Eagles frankly is that it looks to me uh after the draft that Doug Peterson has an itch to get real real crafty and I don't know if this is the season to implement <laughs> all of that creativity. Right. Right. No, it's a it's a really good point. We also don't know if the if the Eagles are done. I mean, they're still they're still linked to the occasional veteran running back. It's probably not going to be anybody terribly interesting, but it's easy to get so excited about Miles Sanders right now. But that but that might crash uh, at, at any moment if they sign like who are the guys kicking out there right now? Carlos Hyde. It's Devonte Freeman. Like there's just a handful of vets that could come in and really muck that up for uh, for Sanders, which would be should be a bummer for fantasy purposes. Um, th- those are, you know, you you obviously like that that Peterson is still there, that all the key components are still there. It was a, it was a team that was like 
you know, Wentz was basically trying to land a a plane that was like on fire at the end of the season, right? They had no receiving talent left. um, And, and they were still, they were still super frisky. So um, that's a fun team. In my mind, the the talent level in Dallas though, is just, uh, is just at a a completely different level. And it's not the same offensive line that, that we maybe saw like four years ago, but man, that, that receiving core is so scary. Um, They, they are a team that is bringing in a new head coach, um, but it was obviously time. Um, But but everything else, you know, all, all the other skill players are, are holdovers. Plus, we get CeeDee Lamb, who was just insane. Again, it's the Big 12. I have no idea. Um, but like CeeDee Lamb was a thing. Was right. w- It looks like an absolute superstar. So that's just that that might be the best receiving core in in the NFL. Like I, they're certainly in the conversation. You also have some defensive holes now that you didn't have last year. That's going to force yeah. the offense to pass more. So from a fantasy perspective, I would imagine more production coming out of Dallas than than even Philadelphia. Um, and we don't know what's going to happen with Alshon Jeffrey also. I mean, or right. Deshaun Jackson, like it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, those contracts are really tough to to navigate, but there's no hard and fast rule that either of those guys are returning to the team in September. Yeah, no, it makes it's what makes Philadelphia so difficult to to project right now. The uncertainty in the backfield and then the uncertainty in the receiving core. Um, we have no idea. And the, guy, the guys that were playing when when we got to the end last year, when we got to the final weeks of December. Greg were, Ward Jr., baby. Greg Ward Jr. was yes. fun. Like, I don't know why they never let him do some fun Wildcat quarterbacks. I don't know why Greg Ward wasn't throwing passes. That would have been really fun. Um, but like he was good. He was he, he was a good player. Uh, maybe Greg Ward was the inspo for the Jalen Hurts draft pick. Maybe yeah. maybe that wet the appetite for Peterson. And he was like, all right, let's do this for real now with the players I want to do this with. Who knows? Um, all right, AFC North. We've got the Ravens, the Bengals, the Browns, and the Steelers. We've already talked about the obstacles facing the Browns. Um, the Bengals have a brand new <laughs> rookie um, quarterback and a second-year coach. So that's a lot. I mean, I, I, I feel like the Ravens are the obvious obvious leaders here. I mean, I'm not putting a lot of faith and stock into the Steelers just because Big Ben shaved his beard and put out a hype video. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's fair. The The Steelers are in, in a, at some level, they're, they're running everything back. Um, the, you know, we, we still got to see what, what uh, like a pretty significant elbow injury that Roethlisberger is coming back from. That's a worry. I will say just fantasy wise, I don't, I don't remember many first overall pick quarterbacks who are coming into a situation with this much talent around like Burrow's in a great situation like it wouldn't especially in a normal offseason I I might be pretty tempted to make some bold predictions on Burrow I probably won't do it in this one but he's got AJ Green he's got Boyd he's got Joe Mixon like this is a this is a good team um they've tried to do a few things with the offensive line we'll see um but it's a but it is an unusually good situation for uh, a quarterback who was taken by a by a team that played their way into the number one overall pick I'll say that but you're I mean you're absolutely right about Baltimore um the, like a great running game got better in the draft, yeah. which is which is kind of crazy. Um, Jackson is an interesting player because I you know, like we were on him last year. I, realistically, I'm not going to take a quarterback in round two and round three of a fantasy draft. Um, it, it's easy to say, well, Jackson is obviously going to regress. He probably will as a passer. It, it's also reasonable to say that if Lamar Jackson is going to get another 180 carries, if he's going to get 190 rush attempts, whatever, um, he, he could he could score a few more rushing touchdowns than he did last year. Right. Like he, he was getting seven yards a carry last year and only scored seven rushing touchdowns like that could go up. Um, Jackson is still my number one fantasy quarterback. And I think Baltimore is pretty clearly the class of the division. NFC North, our favorite division. We've got um, th- this one. Actually, when I was reviewing it, I was like, well, you, we've got the Bears and really nothing's this. Nothing's changed except for Nick Foles. But I'm not I, I don't know who the starters going to be. I mean, I don't know how you have a quarterback competition over the summer. And you would imagine that Nick Foles is going to be the starter. But also, I believe that Ryan Pace thinks that so much of his legacy and reputation is tied to having drafted up to Trubisky. And as of yet, he has been very reticent to admit a mistake. I thought he should have held a press conference like week seven of last year and said, like, you know, I just I made a damn mistake. I apologize. I'm going to own it. That's what my therapist says to do. And I really (laughs) thought Pace should have done it. So he didn't. Um, but, you know, from a fantasy perspective, I think Anthony Miller is a winner. I think he's in a good spot, assuming he can find health after two seasons of working his way through injuries, but being on the field. So that frustrating place of being active and us not knowing the extent to which he was banged up. Um, 
so I, I, I like Foles from a team perspective, but from a fantasy perspective, I mean, it's difficult to imagine either of these players or quarterbacks, you know, on the field for the full 16 game slate. Yeah, I think I think the Bears not picking up the fifth year option on Trubisky is as close as you're going to get to an admission of absolute failure by the <laughs> by the like he's not going to come out and say yeah that was a total whiff but I mean you, you don't pick up the option on a quarterback that you took that high of the draft it's it's about as close as you're gonna as you're gonna find I agree with you that that Foles is pretty clearly going to be the guy you don't make a move for somebody like Foles when you have a young quarterback like Trubisky without the intention of of plugging him in as your starter. Um, the, the running game is interesting because Montgomery, obviously a disappointment last year, there are still these veteran backs lurking out there and the bears seem like a possible landing spot for one. If not, if Freeman doesn't land there, if there's no interest in Hyde, maybe there's not, um, that then Montgomery is looking at a presumably a huge workload. He could get better. I mean, we see that all the time. It's not, it's not that uncommon for rookie running backs to struggle and then have big second, third seasons. Um, so Montgomery, I think, could be a little bit of a value uh, uh, this season. Allen Robinson is always great, no matter who's throwing him the ball. Um, he's the one bankable fantasy asset here. And then it, it's hard not to like Anthony Miller because Anthony Miller's best moments have have just been has just been so damn good. Yeah, uh, the Lions. Uh, I, the, when you look at the Bears, the Lions, the Packers and the Vikings, um, I think continuity wise, surprisingly, <laughs> for better, or for worse, the Lions are the winners. Yeah. In in that way, you know, Matt Stafford, he has sneaky fantasy value. I think, um, you know, I, I thought he'd be a nut. He's always undervalued because he's attached to a, a team that doesn't win and attached to a team with a loser's narrative. But I think that, frankly, his injury last year allowed um, Martha Ford to give Patricia some length here. Because, you know, Patricia was like, well, I wasn't able to do all the things. So he was able to keep his job. And that was enough <laughs> yeah. for Ford to say, like, well, that's true. And I think I think Stafford here could be an interesting value, especially if you're one of those people who likes to wait very long um, on the on the quarterback position. And because it is so deep, he still has Kenny Galladay, who's a stud. Uh, we know what Marvin Jones can do um, as a one-two punch. And I do expect, like, a, a, like a, a step forward from TJ Hawkinson, who did start the year pretty well before getting injured and kind of just hitting a rookie wall in 2019. Yeah, all we and don't really... forget Danny Amendola, damn it. Danny, nobody can, Danny Amendola for the win all the time. <laughs> and then they add, you know, they add DeAndre Swift. Um, so sure. they another legitimate option at running back. I think like Stafford's another one of those guys who's in that sort of, you know, if if Sam Darnold is ever going to crack into the the top twelve at quarterback, you got to work your way past guys like Stafford, and his receiving core is so good. Mm-hmm. And they're all again, it's one of those teams that's just kind of running it back with the same crew. Galladay's a star. Um, Marvin Jones a really good supporting cast member. Yeah, um, the Packers also, for better or worse, are kind of bringing back the same crew. We we just thought they would make it better, right? We thought they would enhance mm-hmm. it with any of the marquee receivers uh, who went in the first or second day, they, they didn't really, they're coming back with Funchess and Lazard and uh, obviously Devonte Adams is great, but that's about it. Um, they spend the pick on, uh, on love. They spend the other pick on Dylan. Like it's fine. You, you want to add running back talent to a team that already had two quality running backs. One of whom was great last year. Um, fine. Um, like they made it to the NFC title game and I suppose they could plausibly get there again, but uh, a disappointing off season for them. And then I, I mean, Minnesota is going to be really good. I don't see any, I don't see any way that Minnesota isn't at least like a nine, 10 win team this year. You've got Stefanski leaving, but I guess, you know, that that's the line between Stefanski and Kubiak remains blurred. So one cannot necessarily yeah. tell, but, um, and then Justin Jefferson moving into a position, um, where I think actually, you know, everyone keeps saying that Justin Jefferson is one of these big rookie winners and sure, but I actually think Adam Thielen is the biggest winner. He didn't spend as much. He's typically thought of as the team slot receiver, right? But he didn't spend as much time in the slot last year as he did in previous seasons. He was on the outside more regularly. And so I think Adam Thielen is now the undisputed number one in that yeah. friction between Diggs and Thielen no longer exists and allows Kirk Cousins to really just throw to the guy he likes the most. 
Right, right. I think there's probably a lot of relief there that uh, like within that team that Diggs isn't there. I mean, it's obviously it's a loss of talent. Yeah. It's a huge net loss of talent. But I, I, I bet there were a bunch of guys that breathed a sigh of relief. Um, feeling's, feeling's great when Diggs isn't in the lineup either. So uh, it, but feeling an obvious winner. Um, you called it with uh, with Jefferson. Rudolph is still there. The tight end situation is a little weird, but it's deep. They have Smith. They have Rudolph. Like those guys are going to be good. Um, and then so like. They're, they're also kind of impervious to um, a Dalvin Cook injury because Madison is so good, um, but Boone is still around, right? Like they've got, they've got a deep um, group of running backs as well, so they can they can survive uh, the, the injury that I, I think maybe everybody forecasts at this point for Cook. Uh, let's continue with the AFC South. We've got, uh, obviously, the Texans, Colts, Jags, and Titans. None of us are touching the Jaguars if we don't need to, unless we're finding value, right? Outside of DJ Chark, everything, if you're looking for a Jaguar, it's because someone fell to you, not because (laughs) you were actively targeting them. Yeah. Um, I do think, and I said this, that like Leonard Fournette in our team preview piece, one of the questions was, was Leonard Fournette, is Leonard Fournette a fade? Of course, Dalton said yes, 100%. (laughs) And it made me start to think, though, a little bit about how we do these absolutes and these hot takes in fantasy. And I, I'm sort of like, well, can we reframe, refra- reframe that and it not just be like a must fade, but a like potential value? Because if I'm getting Leonard Fournette in the fifth, late fourth, I'm taking that. Like I'm taking that workload and knowing that probably week seven, I'm going to have to work the waiver wire. But, you know, that could happen anywhere. But so so. Keeping that in mind, the narrative reframing, we look at the Houston Texans and they are, to quote you, without the best wide receiver on the planet. And yet, otherwise, I mean, I want to say this team is not at all the same, except it feels kind of the same with one bigger, um, with one big absence. Yeah, it's it's like it's it doesn't quite remind me. There was the year it's probably 2016. There was that weird year where the Texans just um, changed everything. Right. Um, Osweiler came in and Lamar Miller came in and it was like two. It was Will Fuller. And was it Braxton Miller? Like they were counting on big things from two rookie receivers and they had like two new linemen and like more than half of the offense was was changed. And um, a a lot of lot of folks went crazy about him for fantasy. Like Lamar Miller is going to be a first round back. He's going to be like, all these things are going to be great. Osweiler, he's super talented. Um, and it's it's just like in a normal offseason, it, it's hard to bring a lot of new stuff in. And it's not like the Texans have gone quite that far, but new running back. Um, they've gotten rid of a guy who, you know, was like a was like 180, 200 target receiver. Um, they they bring in Cobb. They bring in Cooks. Um, it's it's a lot of new stuff on a on Oh, I a, forgot about Cooks. You're totally right about Cooks. I totally forgot about that move. Oh. Yeah. And so that's a that's a ton of DeAndre Hopkins targets that have to get reallocated to a couple of new faces. Um, they they got a count on Will Fuller being healthy for the first time ever. Like it, it's a lot of it's kind of a lot of wish casting and a lot of you know putting putting stuff together on the fly for the Texans so I'm not not super um I'm just not super optimistic about them um that the Titans are the team that just kind of they're just like okay we're gonna run it back I, I don't know exactly what we have with Ryan Tannehill but we had a pretty good like three quarters of a season out of him um and we're gonna do this thing with Derrick Henry and play action and AJ Brown and, and AJ make- Brown yeah and maybe that's going to be enough in a season like this where the where the Colts are bringing in a, you know, Colts have a new quarterback, new running back, new a lot of stuff. And and maybe it's going to be enough for the Titans. The Titans definitely feel like a like a 10 winish sort of team. And if they keep Derrick Henry uh, healthy and upright and I have no reason to think that they can't, um, that guy can win another rushing title and they can win, you know, they can win another division. And certainly the most in terms of uh, the most static of the teams in terms of new pieces moving in and out. So. I think that's a solid point. I'm still shook by the Texans. I, like, I I always just expect the Texans to be the, the same thing. Like, I know Carlos Hyde was the running back last year, and it wasn't Lamar Miller, but it might as well have been <laughs> Lamar right, Miller. Right, right. You know what I'm yeah, um, it's, it's going to be one of the, like, it's one of those interesting questions about this season is whether they're actually, you know, like David Johnson has been on a, just in terms of efficiency has been, has been pretty terrible now for, for a couple yeah. of seasons, like last two years, he's averaged 3.6 yards per carry and has looked like a 3.6 yard per carry back, but they are also the team that turned the, you know, like withered husk of Carlos Hyde into a thing last year. He was a thousand yard back for them. And if they could do yeah. that 
to like Carlos Hyde was bad in 2018 and then he was fine last year. So if they could do that with him, it gives me a little bit of hope for David Johnson. Mm-hmm. NFC South, you've got the Atlanta Falcons, Carolina Panthers, New Orleans Saints and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, obvious, I, it's the New Orleans Saints, right? Like these you mentioned it at the top. They are the team where they are running it back. It worked really well last year. It's worked really well for a lot of years, and all yeah. they're adding is Sanders. So they are obviously the front runners. Um, the Falcons are are interesting um, because how many? Let's set the over under on four hundred and seventy two Calvin Ridley off season breakout pieces. Do you expect <laughs> written by the fantasy community? Yeah, that's a that's a clear over. Like Ridley's a really talented player. Um, that that's a that's a team that is that is mostly kept it together, other than bringing in Todd Gurley. Well, I guess they brought in Hayden Hurst too. Like Hayden Hurst is going to mm-hmm. be a fun. Like he's going to be pretty fun. I don't know. I think I'm I think I'm drafting him over Austin Hooper, um, who obviously had a great season there last year, got himself paid. That's cool. Um, I think a lot of that goes to Hayden Hurst. He's going to be good. Um, Ridley's a Ridley's a pretty big talent. Obviously, Jones is great. Like that's a there, there's certainly no division in football that has given us more fun off season storylines. I guess I would say than than this one. Mm. Um, t- like Tampa just sort of reinventing itself and moving on for like. The fact that Tampa had a terrible quarterback last season who also threw for fifty one hundred yards um, is you know. It was crazy. It was, just, it was a crazy season. Um, it, it's it's a remarkable cast um, for Tom Brady to finish his career with, assuming he finishes with the uh, with, with the Bucks. We got to wonder about what Gronk has left. He wasn't great when last we saw him, but at least it's a friendly face, a familiar face for Brady. Um, New Orleans, though, clearly the absolute class of the division. Mm-hmm. Um, their one addition is somebody who is just going to fit seamlessly and somebody who you made the point earlier um emmanuel sanders changed teams in the middle of the season and and was really good and had no problem with it and went to the super bowl so he's fine like this this is gonna this is gonna work for him um i do want to talk about two of the tight ends and i want to touch on this point now because you wrote an article for the website um i'm gonna reframe the title because uh jason and mo put all of these awesome seo words into it that made it just too long so um Lessons learned from my first mock draft by Andrew Barons. Um, This is the quote that I want to pull from it, because if you guys haven't read Andy's writing, number one, you're missing out. Number two, get to the site. And number three, it is a treat. So, quote, (laughs) experts will sometimes tell you that best ball drafting helps them learn the relative depth of various positions or it assists in understanding the opportunity costs involved with selecting early quarterbacks or tight ends. Personally, I find it useful to see a few terrifying names sitting near the top of your queue with seconds ticking off a draft clock to truly appreciate your desire to not roster those players. Everything is purely theoretical until we start creating teams and play paying league fees. Perfectly stated, cheekily stated, we talk, this division, I think, is representative of that experience for you more than the others when you have teams like um, Atlanta and Tampa Bay. Can we talk about Gronk was one of the players that you highlighted, as was Austin Hooper, who moved on to Cleveland from Atlanta. Can you talk about why those two players were particularly triggering for you and why you're they're on your no no thank you list? Yeah, usually that that like in this case, it was a best ball draft like that first one. I don't even get it from mock drafts. Like I've done a few mock drafts for magazines so far and I don't, you know, I'm not pouring my heart into a mock draft necessarily, but if it's a, if it's a team that I'm going to stick with all year and I'm going to, I'm going to continually see the results from it. Like you face some choices in those drafts. And I always end up coming out of like that first or second draft of the year, just absolutely redoing my ranks uh, on, in, in many cases, it's just, you know, it'd be five, 10 guys, something like that. And there were some players that, regardless of what my ranks said to do coming into the draft, like those names sat at the top of the queue. And I was like, no, uh, three straight rounds. I was, <laughs> I, I was a hard no on Le'Veon Bell, um, who, who I think I probably had as like RB 20 at the time. And I've downgraded him since then. And Gronk was one of those guys, like really strong brand, really strong brand name. It's easy to, it's easy to spill out the, the narrative of him and Tom Brady and how good they've been together. And, what that connection has meant, you know, over the last 10 years throughout NFL history, right? It's about as good a quarterback um, tight end connection as there ever as there has ever been. Um, and then you and then you realize Gronk has had almost like by his own by his own estimation, he's had nine surgeries. Um, 
most of them back surgeries, right? Like mm-hmm. he's he's taken the year off. He's dabbled in wrestling. He's come back. He's lost weight. He's going to have to gain weight, gain mass. Um, he was fine when last we saw him. He's a really good real life player. He's he's probably still going to be one of the best blocking tight ends in the league. He has a ton of value. Uh, in reality, he was he was not an elite receiving tight end when last we saw him on the field. And I I'm not going to I'm not going to expect a guy to be better. I don't think he's going to be vintage Gronk. And I've seen a fair number of pieces out there that he's a top eight tight end for fantasy, that he's a top 10 tight end for fantasy. And there's just there's just no way I'm going to draft him there. Um, I don't like I don't buy it. I'd, I'd kind of throw Gronk closer to the to the Chris Herndon level where it's like hmm, maybe may, like we're we're probably going to get 550 yards and and you know there's this whole group of tight ends where like they're all going to get 550 yards and some of them are going to score four touchdowns and some of them are going to score eight and that's going to swing where they fall in the fantasy ranks and I think he's kind of in that pile of players I don't I don't I think his days as like a surefire top eight tight end are over but how are you weighing that? Because that all makes perfect logical sense. But how are you weighing that in tandem with the ongoing theme of what, I mean, world, the world climate, frankly, what we've been talking about, the thread throughout this entire episode about continuity. I mean, it makes sense to me that Tom got his best, most successful security blanket out of retirement. And so there does seem to feel like despite these you know, throwing drills that he's having with other players that we've both said were, you know, interesting for social media reasons and, and, and entertainment don't really hold much actual value is I, I just see a world where like Gronk starts the first six weeks of the season scores, you know, in the first, you know, th- three touchdowns over the first five contests and is on fire. And then as things start to level out, um, the grind of the season catches up with him, rapport with other players develops. Chris Godwin's timing is just enough. And then all of a sudden he, he, you know, walks in. He's like that Homer Simpson gift where he's just like going into the bushes <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't, I, I think that that's why maybe you draft him. Maybe you draft him knowing that before Halloween, regardless of what he's putting up, you're going to have to move him. I love the scenario where Gronk really splashes early in the season and he's like a hero of September and you can and we can write some sell high pieces on Gronk. Like, I think that's I think that's totally legit. That could very well happen. Um, I, like, could a 10 touchdown season happen for Gronk if he plays 13 or 14 games? I see. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a fun offense. Evans is great. Godwin is great. Like they have, they have incredible pieces. Um, he's still at some level, he's still Tom Brady. And even though he was kind of a, you know, I think I called him a caretaker earlier. I don't think Bruce Arians is Bruce Arians. Let James Winston throw the ball 620 sometimes last year. Like if Tom Brady gets to throw the ball 600 times, um, that's going to be good in an Arians offense. It's going to be like, is he, is he up for 600 throws and a ton of deep balls? Like, I don't know. Like we haven't seen a ton of that, but that's going to be really fun if he is. But those aren't, you know, Gronk's going to be a part of it. Gronk will benefit from it. Um, I, I can't believe that that with receivers at the level of of Evans and Godwin that they aren't still going to be the the lead guys there. I like I like this scenario though, where where Gronk really um, really flashes like in in opening week, maybe in week two, and then you can throw him on the trade block. We'll, we'll see what happens. I just want to, I had a stat, I pulled a stat for our team preview on the Bucks, which is coming out on Wednesday. When you mentioned um, Tom Brady's deep ball attempts, he had, um, he had 15 deep ball attempts last year, which is not great, but a deep ball completion percentage within the top 10. So just something to he to me that means that like he didn't do it that much and obviously the Patriots have been a run first offense for the past two seasons um, but there might be a lot enough left in the tank to get it done with the pass catchers at his disposal Some, in Tampa Bay. Sometimes there's also just a little bit of like, if you're not doing a thing very often, when you do it, um, it's going to go really well. Like two years ago, um, Drew Brees, who clearly doesn't have the arm strength that Drew right. Brees had like five, seven years ago, um, was by a by a fair margin um, the best deep ball thrower in terms of like deep ball um, um, passer rating in the NFL because they, they didn't do it that often. But when they did it, they had an incredibly yeah. accurate quarterback and and you weren't looking for it because you were really really worried about Alvin Kamara in the flat or you were worried about you know all these short and intermediate things that Breeze hits with his eyes closed when they went deep it it always worked very good Andy <laughs> very good. <laughs> um, no I mean that's another way that's an interesting thing it's uh, about statistics right like you see these stats and then you have to think about 
all of the ways that they can be interpreted. So I think that that's another sound interpretation. Um, Remains to be seen what Tom does. Out of curiosity, we have two more divisions left, but I am um, placing Tom Brady in the like QB 10 to 12 range, QB 10 to yeah. 11 to 13, 10 to 12, like low end QB one status. Uh, he was a QB 15 overall last year. Uh, are you in the Dalton? He's washed, not touching him camp. Or are you like, yeah, I mean, it's Tom Brady. Like I'll take him late. Um, yeah, I have him in the same range. I, again, he's, he's quarterback in offense that, that threw the ball 620 plus times last year. And if it's anything like that, if Tom Brady gets to throw the ball 580 times, 600 times, um, it, it's hard to screw that up. Like Jameis was legit terrible last year. He, he threw 30 interceptions. Um, he was, he was bad. He was verifiably bad. Um, he had a great fantasy year. Like it's, you can, you can be washed. And if they let you throw the ball 600 times, it's going to, it's going to go well in our game. Yeah, we all we all lived through um, the Blake Bortles year. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, we know that that's and and Tom did pass for over 4000 yards. It was just the touchdowns, frankly, that he wasn't able to convert on and his receivers dropped like an average of two balls per game. So I think when you have, again, red zone weapons like Gronk and Evans and Godwin, now your touchdown conversion rate is probably much higher, which will then buoy the rest of his stat line into the top 12. We're also, we're in an incredible place with Brady where like, we've literally never seen a quarterback be good um, at his age. We like, we hadn't seen a quarterback be good at his age last year or the year before, right? Like we're just in totally uncharted territory. It's where there's no comps for what Brady is doing at 43. He's like three years older than his offensive coordinator, right? Like he's just, nope, nobody's ever been good at this age. So I I don't, and, and we also know that players who are, you know, um, among the very best to ever uh, play their sport, like they age a little differently, right? Like oftentimes their final years, even though they don't match what they were at their best, they're, they're still like pro bowl, pro bowl quality seasons. Um, So can Brady have one more of those? Sure. I think he can. AFC West, we've got the Broncos, Chiefs, Raiders and Chargers. Um, So Chargers are obviously changing a lot. The Raiders are changing. It looks like everybody in this division is changing a lot to keep up with the Kansas City Chiefs who don't need to change a damn thing. Yeah, that's really well put, right? Like the the Chiefs are so the class of, uh, I don't know, maybe the NFL, certainly this division, um, the obvious favorite. Mahomes probably an MVP favorite. Um, The additions they've made, uh, you know, uh, uh, Hilaire is just going to be terrific. Like they found the right back for this offense. Um, I I think he's going to be, I think he's just going to be great. I, I think he's a... In my mind, he's a second rounder. Um, I feel like we're already at a place where like people felt that way on draft night. And now if I take Clyde Edwards Hilaire in the second round in mocks, people feel like, oh, it's too early. There's other guys. I know there's other guys, but he's going to be he's going to be a weapon right away. I think he's going to be fantastic. Um, The receiving core is great. Whatever. Kansas City is absolutely fantastic. I've no, I have no idea what the Chargers are going to look like. This is like I don't, I don't know what the the Tyrod thing is is going to look like. They're another team in my mind that is still a risk to add one of these running backs who's floating out there, um, and that could really mess up our plans for Austin Eckler, who was of course fantastic without Melvin mm. Gordon last year. Um, it like if they don't add anybody. At, Eckler is a, a fringe, like back end of the first round, uh, early second round running back for me. And, and if they do add somebody, it's a, a that's a real problem because <laughs> then he goes from being right. a, an obvious 280, 300 touch guy to being like a 220 touch guy and half of them are receptions. And I don't know, it could work out, but um, he's a bit more of a dice roll. Uh, Denver's really fun, too. Like, I'm not I'm not I'm not entirely sold on Drew Locke, but you can't do you can't do a whole lot more to to build up the system around him and build up mm-hmm. the the weaponry around him. Two things. First of all, the the uh, hashtag football Twitter debate, fantasy Twitter debate between Jonathan T- Taylor and Clyde Edwards Hilaire as the number one overall in Dynasty. Who are you taking? Um, for, for me, that's Edwards Hilaire. I, I will. Same. I will always um, weight that really, really heavily toward the current season, right? I mean, it's football. A lot of things happen. Now. Injuries yeah. happen. Yeah, win, win, win right at this moment. Um, I also think that Jonathan Taylor is a bit more of, I, like, I don't like to say that we, we didn't see him catch a lot of passes at Wisconsin. No Wisconsin back is going to catch, like, 50 balls a year. It's, just, it's not what they do. It doesn't mean that Jonathan Taylor can't do it. 
Um, but he enters the league as much more of a, I mean, like, man, if this were 1978, 1979, you want yourself, Jonathan Taylor. He's perfect. He's an absolute perfect running back. He would have been great. Um, he'll be great now, but I I don't see him as a guy who's any threat at all to catch. Um, like you told me that Edwards Hilaire was going to catch 70 passes this year. I'd say, sure, that that's Mm -hmm. definitely in the, in the realm of possibility. And there's no chance that that happens for Taylor. Um, Taylor's probably going to rush for a thousand yards if he stays healthy. He's probably going to rush for eleven hundred, maybe twelve hundred. Um, I, I think there's a path for Edwards Hilaire to score fourteen touchdowns, sixteen touchdowns, right? Like if everything goes well for Edwards Hilaire, we're talking about an offense that's going to average thirty-five points a game. He's going to be a huge piece of it. Um, he doesn't like how many touches a game was Damian Williams getting a couple years ago when he absolutely blew up in the fantasy playoffs. It was only like 14, 15 a game. Edwards Hilaire is going to get that. Um, and, and that can result in a double digit touchdown season. So I, I think this year it's Edwards Hilaire long-term it gets close. Like if you told me that Jonathan Taylor was going to win a rushing title or two, I'd, I'd buy that. Um, I think they're both great. Well, why, why does it get close when you look at the, I mean, the number one uh, outside of the experience in the passing game, number one knock against Taylor was the tread on his tires. I mean, it's somewhere like yeah. over 900 college career touches. Like I, I don't, I, to me, it is very clearly tr- uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Like I think he is, quote, special. I think he's just a different player cut from a different mold. And obviously, if you're looking right now, attached to the much more electric offense of the two. But I don't see um, I look at I look at Taylor and I see a workhorse. I look at Edwards Hilaire and I see a Swiss Army knife. And one of those just holds more long term value. Oh, no question about it. And there's no there's no end in sight to the to the Chiefs being great, right? Like, I mean, they're gonna. There's a dynasty. I mean, that's that's the offseason article, right? Like, goodbye Patriots. The new dynasty has risen, and yeah. it's also from the AFC. You yeah, know? wouldn't like. It, I mean, it would. I maybe it's going a little far to say that it wouldn't surprise me if they ended up winning five Super Bowls. But like, they have that kind of talent. And if Patrick Mahomes stays healthy, and Andy Reid wants to coach another ten years. Um, they're they're going to win some more Super Bowls and they're going to continue averaging like 30 points a game. And there, there's just no way that Edwards Hilaire, uh, as long as he stays healthy and there's, you know, he doesn't have unusual injury risk attached to him. There's no reason to think that he won't be a, a 12, 14, 16 touchdown a year kind of player. Last question about this division. We, we're talking about Clyde Edwards Hilaire as a running back. I, I think also Josh Jacobs is a huge, huge winner yeah. in this offseason reuniting with Henry Ruggs. I mean, you saw what in 2017 and 2018 under Nick Saban, both Ruggs and um, Jacobs did to opposing defenses. Now you've got a player with four, three uh, sub four, three speed and Ruggs who can stretch the field and lighten those boxes that Jacobs is going to be running against Deandre Washington, Drew 40 targets last year. He's not on the team. And so there's a more opportunity in the passing game. Mike Mayock even said he's ready for phase two of Jacob's evolution into being an every down back and expects to get him much more involved in the passing game, despite adding two and a half receivers to the, to the team. I, I am very high on Jacobs. I think the fact that he did what he did rookie year and playing through an injury since week seven says a lot. Um, which of these two running backs are you prioritizing, though? Hilaire attached to the better offense, the you know one that is more expected, more quantifiable, or Jacobs, who I think has more proven skill set and potentially could see more touches. Yeah, I've got um, I've got Jacobs just a little bit. I don't have that many running backs ahead of Edwards Hilaire in my ranks. I've got Jacobs ahead of him. I think Jacobs is uh, uh, solidly top ten right now, and it would like. You seized on the right Mayock quote. Um, if if he just catches, you know, if he's catching like 40 to 45 balls, he doesn't have to be, you know, he doesn't have to be McCaffrey. He doesn't have to be Eckler. He doesn't have to be somebody catching 80, 90 balls. If he's just getting 45, 55, something like that, um, it, it's not going to surprise me if we're drafting him in the first half of the first round in 2021, right? If he stays healthy, yeah. um, he's going to run for 1,200 yards if he stays healthy. And if he catches... 50 passes. Um, now we're talking about a player where you can reasonably see a path to him getting 2000 scrimmage yards, 12 touchdowns, something Oof. like that. And, and a player like that um, should go in the top five. So uh, I think, I think Edwards Hilaire is, could join that group, but I think Jacobs is definitely in the discussion to be, you know, one of those top three, top four fantasy running backs entering next season. 
Got it. All right. NFC West, this is going to be the last division we discuss. My other favorite division. We've got the Cardinals, the Rams, the 49ers, and the Seahawks. Oh, it's a bad look for the Seahawks lately. They're they're going through some times. Um, but the Cardinals, I don't know. So the Seahawks obviously don't, I, I don't know what they're, um, between the rumors about that surfaced about Russell Wilson having been floated to Cleveland previously and obviously the um, cornerback situation um, in Seattle. This to me seems, but but also the thing that Seattle does every year is say like, well, we're not worried about it and then manage to, you know, ascend. <laughs> right, right. So. Um, I, I, for fantasy purposes, uh, I, I think the biggest story for Seattle is actually going to be like, w- which running back is going to be healthy is either running back going to be healthy. Hopefully it's Carson. Hopefully he's ready to go. It doesn't seem like Penny is going to be ready to go. Pete no. Carroll is f- so full of sunshine in the off season about all of his players. So we're not going to get any sort of meaningful nugget from him. Um, I think Metcalf uh, obviously already became a star. Um, there's a, there's a conversation about whether he should go ahead of Lockett. Like, Seattle's interesting. This whole damn division is interesting. Um, a, t- a ton of a ton of changes um, for your Rams. Uh, like it's Acres could get. I don't know. I, like I don't know what to do with Acres. Acres is Acres is really hard for me because I'm not sure that he's the workhorse. But there's a path to him being the workhorse, and if he is, he's a top fifteen, top twelve fantasy back. I don't know. Like he's really interesting. Um, and and then they it, can't have the battle. I mean, that that I think the continuity argument comes in again here because yeah. often in training camps are when these quarterbacks or running backs, that's when the depth chart is established, right? And there's different competitions for the positions. And I don't I don't know that Cam Akers is automatically without a competition just beats out yeah. Henderson. No, I, I I don't I don't know. It's probably 50 50 right now. And it, I don't know. In in, uh, uh, in in the minds of the coaching staff, it could very well be that Malcolm Brown is part of it, too. I have no idea. Like they're going to have to protect their quarterback. Akers is brand new. Um, I, I don't know how right. that backfield shakes point. out. And you're right. We're like, who knows um, what kind of reporting we're going to get during training camp? Who knows what training camp looks like? Who knows what the preseason looks like? I don't know when they're going to settle this. So um, that's a huge open question. Cooks is gone. So there's a there's a. There's a big reshuffling going on there, and uh, like everybody's going to be on Arizona this year. A- Arizona's super interesting. Uh, like Kyler Murray had a had a kind of sneaky. I mean, we were talking about Kyler Murray a lot last year, but he ended up having a pretty sneaky good rookie season. Didn't throw a lot of picks. Um, he was, I think, he was second at his position in rushing. He was a million yards behind Lamar Jackson, but he was still a 500 yard rusher last year. That's enormously promising. If he's going to, you know, if he's going to run the ball 80 times a year and he's going to give us five, 600 rushing yards, I mean, that's a that's a total fantasy stud because down the road, I mean, they just added DeAndre Hopkins. That's a that's a kid who's going to give us, uh, you know, Murray might give us 35, maybe 40 combined touchdowns this year. Um, if all goes well, um, everything else is the same. He's uh, another year with Kingsbury. That's a that's a really fun offense. It's a fun division. And you've got Kenyon Drake trying to prove yeah. that, you know, the last isn't Kenyon Drake, the ultimate, like do it in December player though, you know, like let's, let's totally. see you do it beyond the last four weeks of the season. So he's going to try to do that. But in terms of, you know, volume, which we always preach in fantasy, Drake is in a, in a great position. Um, the, I think the Rams are very frustrating and, and confusing and the 49ers, you know, just went to the Super Bowl a couple of months ago. So yeah. There is um who on the 49ers outside of of Kittle do you think is the most I don't know the the most um reliable I guess you could say we don't have Sanders anymore outside of Kittle though I don't know who like the fantasy the regular fantasy standout is um, Debo's really fun. I, I don't know that right. Debo's going to be like an every week guy because they're not, right. um, they're not some high volume passing game. Um, Raheem Mostert is, is the guy who was the, the absolute total star in the, uh, in the postseason. Um, w- w- just a brilliant player, but I don't know that he's going to be the featured guy. Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't right. consider Mostert like a totally bankable RB one because Coleman is still there. Um, as of this moment, they keep talking about McKinnon as if McKinnon is going to be a thing. Not that like McKinnon was a little was a little overhyped coming in there to start with. Um, wasn't ever the most efficient runner in Minnesota, but like he's still in the team picture. Um, he still has a shot to be part of this backfield. They did really well not giving one guy, you know, 25 carries a week. So I, I don't know that it's going to be any single one of these running backs. And then I don't know that I can 
you know, again, great team, great defense. Um, Kittle's become one of the best um, players, uh, all-purpose players in the league. I don't, I don't know that I can trust Jimmy Garoppolo as a fantasy starter. I know that Dalton would argue about this uh, all possible ways. He loves him. Um, I don't. I don't know. That he's a fantasy starter though. He's not going to. I mean, there's no path to Jimmy Garoppolo throwing the ball 600 times. It's more likely he throws it about 450 times, right? And that's just a huge not difference. Not after that Super Bowl performance. That's yeah. Not yeah. Gonna happen. You know, um, I think so much of this is like dependent on Kyle Shanahan's design, though, right? Like it's hard. The reason the McKinnick hype took off and I think remains was because Shanahan said that he reviewed that. Yeah, that season's free agents tape. And by far, McKinnon was his favorite and he paid him like an RB one, you know. And so when you have a scheme that is handed down from your father, frankly, um, that is like running back and quarterback friendly, there is there a more running back and quarterback friendly scheme modern day scheme, I guess, of like available right now. It's so tempting to say, my God, like if I could figure out if it's going to be Mostert, Coleman um, or McKinnon, this guy would be a stud. But I think you're right. Like that's the point that I, I confused. I confused Mostert's name with Brita. But like that's that's the point is that there's so much. And Debo, too, is fun because he was fun coming out of college because he was tough and he was versatile. And guess who really likes tough and versatile <laughs> and has the ability to manipulate those skills into positive ways, successful ways for his offense. So I think that that, you know, to me, the 49ers are fascinating because they are a manipulation versus a true show of talent, if that makes sense. Yeah. The the bankable fantasy asset there beyond Kittle is actually probably the team defense, right? Nobody like we don't need to to linger on that, but it's great. Um, And it's certainly good enough to get them to another Super Bowl. Indeed. All right. Well, we're going to end on bankable defenses because that (laughs) seems like, no pun intended, a very good stopping point. So thank you, Andy. This has been a fun episode. Uh, Programming note, we will be back on Thursday. And in the meantime, please subscribe to Boxed In while you're at it. We have new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Andy, how many of those have you gotten suckered into? I've had a good time doing them. I've had a really good time doing them. I, I won my first debate and I've I've lost to corrupt judges in my last two. So that's been uh, I like it better when uh, I'm the corrupt judge, frankly. Oh, yeah, I, I I'm uh, a judge in an upcoming episode and I, I, too, enjoy this. But you are the honorable judge, Andy Barron. <laughs> so it's more fitting to you. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF and that is at Andy Barron's. And we will see you on Thursday slash Friday. Bye. It's no secret that our world has been interrupted. A World Interrupted is a daily podcast telling stories of coronavirus and its impact on the economy. We want to cover the issues in the macro, global economics, the stock market, and our political climate. We'll also cover the micro stories, maybe the ones you don't hear as much about in the news or the media. We hope you'll listen and be a part of the journey. So subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.